and welcome to Make Good, the podcast about yarn and knitting from Scratch Supply Co. We're recording today in downtown Lebanon, New Hampshire, and we're really excited to be here. I'm Karen. And I'm Jessica. Should we just do some questions today? I think so, yeah. We've been kind of in the weeds the past couple of weeks about very specific, very kind of technical information about our yarns and our fabrics. And today... We've got a bunch of questions, and whenever we do a listener roundup, we'd like to remind you all that you keep sending questions, and we still only put out one episode a week, so every once in a while this helps us make a dent in the pile of messages that we get from you all. We're excited to read some of your questions today and share our thoughts with you. So are you ready for a couple of letters? Mm Mm-hmm. I think I actually am today. Our first letter is from Valerie. Hey, Valerie. My question is, what do you do when you want to gift knit and have gift-worthy people to knit for, but also want to knit for yourself? I'm conflicted about how to decide. It seems like all my favorite yarns are everyone else's favorite yarns, too. Is there some way to make parting with your knits, especially in gorgeous colorways that you love just as much as the intended recipient, easier? Any advice would be appreciated. Valerie. Such the knitter quandary. I think this is not just a you problem. This is something that happens to crafty, artistic people of all ilks. Sometimes you're just like, hmm, that did turn out really good. I would really like to keep that for myself. (laughs) But I do have some thoughts about how to make this maybe more technically manageable for you or maybe emotionally unburdensome. Because I feel like that's where a lot of this comes from for people who have the inclination to gift knit, but then the struggle with parting with the hand knits. So it's really nice that the people that you love and you want to knit for like the same yarns that you like, because A, that means you're going to enjoy working with them, and B, there's no internal aesthetic conflict where you're like, I cannot stand looking at beep redacted color, whatever color that might be. (laughs) And yet this is the color that they want. And it's torture to knit this thing for this person that I adore. So it's nice that that's not your problem. Having the urge to keep these things is like a different issue. But maybe, just maybe, you can deal with this by finding project balance. Maybe you get an eye for what, say, your Aunt Jeannie likes, and Aunt Jeannie really loves these beautiful purple single-ply yarns that you have. Maybe you don't knit a whole top for Aunt Jeannie. Maybe Jeannie gets a headband or a hat or something kind of small and manageable and that you feel able to emotionally detach from. And then you also get enough of that yarn for you to make a tank top or a sweater or a beautiful drapey shawl. So that way you can have a similar matching thing to this person that you care about, but also you get to keep the lion's share of that yarn that you really love for you. Really, this is just super subjective, Valerie. It's whatever your emotional tolerance for handmade gift giving is. Because for as much as we love people in our lives and we want to knit for all of them, 
Sometimes time just doesn't allow or emotional attachment to finished objects or yarn money resources or any number of things make it impractical at any given time. So like maybe you gift knit for one person a year or two. It doesn't have to be everyone all the time, but figure out what works best for you in striking a balance and keep knitting things that you like knitting. Our next question comes from Seema. Hey, Seema. I've just completed a sweater where my gauge is too loose in the body, but perfect in the yoke. It's the Mira by Justina Lorkowska. I figured out that the reason is probably because I swatched knitting beehive stitch flat and my gauge in the round is looser. Since I love the pattern and the yarn so much, I want to redo the body of the sweater with the correct gauge. But first, since the sweater is finished, I want to block it and wear it a bit. Is this a bad idea? I know I can block it, but will I hurt the yarn by wearing it and not be able to re-knit it? Do you have any advice on how to do this? That's a really good question. And I think you can totally do that. You can do all of those things. You can wear it for a while. You can frog it and re-knit it. I think that this is a good real-world lesson in swatching the way that you are going to knit your project. So if you're knitting color work in the round, swatch that color work in the round. If you're knitting a textured stitch in the round, swatch it in the round so you know what your results are going to be. But since we are where we are and your sweater was your swatch for knitting both flat and in the round, let's talk about taking it out a little bit. You might want to refer back to episode 58 where we talked about frogging. There's good information there about reclaiming your yarn, winding it back into a hank and soaking it and letting it hang to dry until you're ready to wind it and re-knit it. You're probably not going to want to knit it directly from its current state where once you frog it, it'll be really crimpy from all of the knit stitches. Blocking it's not going to do anything bad to the yarn. Blocking it is just getting it wet and letting those stitches set and settle. So the reclaiming process will put it back in a condition that will let you re-knit it. I think that if I were you, I would make sure that where you wove in your ends, you take a look at that if you haven't started wearing the sweater already, or even if you have. If you have woven in your ends incredibly, incredibly well, And it's going to be difficult to pick it back out later if you are working with a yarn that's kind of sticky. Maybe find those areas where you've woven in the ends for the fabric that you're going to need to frog and unpick the end of that tail just a little bit. Because if your yarn is untreated wool that's maybe going to really bloom or even felt a little bit on the inside with repeated wear, you're going to want to make that tail visible so that you can kind of easily unpick where you did your finish work and then start the frogging process. Yeah, I think blocking is totally fine. I think wearing your sweater is totally fine. You're not going to do anything to it unless you find a way to do something to it. Like, I don't know, run it through the wash and felt it. You're not going to do anything to it that's going to prevent you from being able to pull that yarn back out and then knit it at the correct gauge. And who knows, you might block it and wear it and decide that really the difference isn't as big as you thought it was initially and that you're totally fine with the overall aesthetic and fit and comfort of this sweater and that you're just going to keep it as it is. So it's definitely worth experimenting a little bit and take the time to wear it a little bit since you just put in all that hard work before you need to knit it again. People reclaim yarn a long time after that sweater is completed. A little soaking will make it more pleasant to knit with, but it's going to be just fine. 
the sweater that I'm working on when I had to frog back basically a whole skein's worth. It was very crimpy. It was crimpy for maybe like an inch or two of knitting. And then at some point I noticed that it wasn't crimpy anymore. Like just being back into the ball had sort of relaxed it. There was like enough tension in how you wound it. Which was really nice because it made it nice to knit with again. So it may not even require that much soaking. Absolutely. I hope that works out for you and you end up with a sweater that you love wearing, whether you frog it or end up just loving it after you block it. Our next question comes from Micah. Hi, Micah. I consider myself a Zodiac crafter. I have anywhere from one to five hobbies at a time, including sewing, knitting, embroidery, and crochet, as well as other non-fiber-related hobbies like flower pressing, watercolor, and making necklaces out of the shed skin of my pet snakes. Okay, Micah, I'm breaking into your question here because I have questions. Like, I have questions. Because I want to know, is this a hobby that you found out about and started doing? Or did you, like, invent shed snakeskin crafting? Mostly, Micah, please send us a picture so we can see. Or, like, link us to your Instagram account or something. I hop from one hobby to the next, staying in place for anywhere from a day to three months at a time before moving on to something else. I usually come back to those hobbies anyway in a tangled, non-linear cycle, hence the Zodiac. Predictably, my room is a bit of a mess. Do you have any advice for organizing different crafty hobbies in one space or possibly ways to mesh those disparate hobbies together? Oh, Micah, you're asking the wrong person. (laughs) (laughs) I'm super chaotic with my crafting stuff. Maybe I'm not as bad as I think I am, but I definitely have an unfortunate situation in my own personal crafting material areas in that I had all of my fabrics and things for sewing in a bookshelf, and then I emptied that bookshelf and passed it on to my children so that they could put all of their books in it, which desperately needed to happen. And I decided that I didn't want to replace it with the same type of bookshelf, but I have yet to find some sort of shelving system that I do want to use. So everything is in like a scary tower against a wall. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like Tetris pieces, and it makes me a little nervous. But so far, it hasn't collapsed, so I'm not in that bad of shape. But I imagine, probably similar to me, that you have some sort of area that you would like to confine your things to, like you don't want to find your knitting and your watercolors and your snake necklace stuff underneath the couch. If the couch area is not where you want to store your things, you want to be able to find them when it's time to come back to that project. So I have a couple of suggestions for things that I like to use because I knit and I sew and I find that I have lots of little pieces of things for both of those crafts. And I think that if you can find containers that work for you, it's a good way to kind of keep things maybe not organized if it's not in your nature, much like it is not in mine, but like contained in areas where you think they will be likely to be found when you need them later. For your fiber things and your fabric things, I strongly recommend some sort of plastic bins. I know there are some people who are like, I would like to have no plastic in my house, and that's totally fair and legit, but you need some sort of container that will protect those fibers, particularly if there's wool involved from moths. You gotta protect them from moths. And humidity and dust and, you know, all of the other stuff that you don't want accumulating on your fibers. For notions and tools and smaller things... 
which might be relevant for your watercolors or your jewelry making. I'm a fan of containers like caboodles. And I don't know how old you are, Micah. I don't know if caboodles are retro and kitschy to you or if they are like a nostalgic piece of your childhood like they are for me. But they're like makeup and jewelry storage containers that come in cute kind of like Barbie style colors and sometimes have like little trays and even mirrors inside of them. So those are handy for needles and pins and presser feet for your sewing machine and clasps and all sorts of other little pieces that need to be organized. Paint brushes, paint pots, like you can kind of keep them in an area. And even if it's not organized inside of that container, it's still inside the container and you know that your purple caboodle is where all of your jewelry making stuff is when you need it. That's the best I got for you. Like find, <laughs> find containers that you can identify that will hold types of things. Karen might have more organization brain thoughts about this kind of stuff. Yeah. So I would think that with all of this different stuff going on, the ability to keep like with like is going to be really helpful. If you can find bins that have clear lids, that's maybe going to save you a little frustration. I kind of like my environment to be as contained as possible. I don't really necessarily, for myself, like bins that you can see through to see what's in them from the side. But being able to see like the clear top is kind of nice. The other thing, depending on like the amount of space and the amount of budget that you have to work with, you might think about like a dresser or something. Hmm. You could just have your snakeskin necklace drawer and then you could have a drawer for yarn and you could have a drawer for sewing. You could get yourself one of those big Ikea closet things. If it's like you need a lot of drawers and you really neither budget nor space are an issue. You could also think about something like the Ikea Calyx shelves that have the cubes and then you could get the baskets that fit in. They also make like a desk that attaches to them. So you would even have like a workspace that's sort of there with all of your stuff, which is kind of nice. The other thing I would do if I were you, and I was trying to figure out if you had any materials that would be shared between these hobbies. And the thing I could think of was scissors. Probably just about everything in here is going to require scissors of some kind. Have a pair for each thing. Don't have one pair that's in one of the bins and then you can't find them. Have a pair of embroidery scissors and a pair that's in with your yarn and a pair that's in with your snakeskins. And then you're not having to hunt through other bins for your stuff. That feels kind of manageable. Yeah, unless you end up with like a pegboard or something that has all of your like shared tools hanging from it. But that appeals to my organizational brain that like these are the scissors that go with this thing and these are the scissors that go with this thing. Well, and some of them need to be specific. You can't be cutting up paper with your sewing shears. Right. People are gasping and falling over right now just hearing me say that out loud. Like you can't do that. <laughs> it's not right. So keep them safe. Also, you could think about turning some of these materials into, like, pieces of decor around your home. So I mean things like I'm thinking of embroidery. Embroidery floss is really pretty. And so you could, like, hang it up. And then it's there. You can see what you have. Pull it down when you're ready to use it. If you don't do embroidery for six months, it's just there. People hang their circular needles on the wall. People put up pegboards with their caked yarn. Yeah. Like they do amazing monochromatic or rainbow or whatever your color palette is. Mural scapes, like yeah. three-dimensional art pieces on the wall that they're going to knit from and it changes over time. 
please put some sort of moth deterrent in your house if you're going to do that. (laughs) Keep it out of direct sunlight. But you could do it. You absolutely could. I think you're going to have to experiment to see what works best for you. I don't think there's a quick, easy, systemic process that works for everyone. This is not one size fits all, clearly, because we all have different relationships to our craft. Play around with options and see if you can find something that works for you. There's something out there for everyone. (laughs) How big do you think their snake is? Who can even say? Snakes come in all shapes and, well, they come in one shape (laughs) and many sizes. Oh, my God. Okay. Oh, my God. So I I don't know. I can't speak to that. Micah says they have multiple pet snakes. It's pet snakes plural. So who can say? I would like more information about this. (laughs) Our next letter comes from Jordan. Hi, Jordan. Jordan begins with a confession. Oh, I'm all ears. I did the great knitter sin and didn't gauge swatch before starting on the body of a Jesse-made diaphanous raglan. Oh, (laughs) okay. I'm here for you. My gauge on my two tiny sweater, washed and blocked, is 22 stitches over 4 inches and 29 rows over 4 inches, as opposed to 20 stitches and 26 rows in the 4-inch square, which is what it should be. It's not terribly off, but I'm wondering if the best solution would be to go up two sizes in the pattern and use the same needles, or go up a needle size from three and a half millimeters to four millimeters. I'm a new knitter, so I guess I learned my lesson on gauge swatching. Also, what's the best way to frog mohair? Oh, Jordan. (laughs) Yeah, that's tough. Okay, let's start with the mohair. So I think we've talked about it on the podcast before, but we once met Stephanie Pearl McPhee in a hotel lobby in a convenience store (laughs) where we stood in a very long line together. And she shared with us her tip on frogging mohair. And that tip is put it in your freezer and frog. And then when it warms up and starts being sticky and uncooperative again, put it back in your freezer and frog. The cold helps keep the fiber more rigid and less clingy. That is the best method that I'm aware of for frogging mohair. And it sounds like you're probably going to need to do that. (laughs) I would also recommend, if you have not yet, Going back and listening to episode 79, last week's episode, very timely, on substituting gauge, because we talk about this exact thing, where if you are knitting and you want to use different weights of yarn than what a pattern calls for, but if you were just getting different gauge and you have your heart set on your fabric feeling like that and looking like that, we will talk you through how to approach changing what size you're knitting to make your garment fit you the way you want it to fit you. But what I would actually recommend doing if you're using the weight of yarn that she recommends in the pattern is going back and swatching with different size needles. You might be able to go up one needle size from three and a half millimeters to four millimeters. You might need to go up two needle sizes. You won't know until you swatch. Because we all knit differently, our hands create different tension for lots of different reasons with our yarn, but you're going to want to swatch and measure. And also, because you mentioned that you're a new knitter, make sure that you have accurate body measurements. Yes. Because I'm going to add that Jordan included a picture with this letter, and it is a teeny tiny sweater. And sometimes you want a teeny tiny sweater, but if you don't, 
you have to have all of the information you can to be able to make the best decision about how to go forward mm -hmm. in re-knitting a project. So make sure you have good body measurements. You read the pattern's notes about recommended ease. Is this pattern meant to be worn with three inches of positive ease? Is it meant to be worn with nine inches of positive ease? Look at your gauge swatch and then choose the size you want to make according to the information that you have before you. You got to experiment. Yeah. Nobody loves frogging mohair. For the same reasons that make it really beautiful, make it really challenging to frog. Well, good luck with your diaphanous raglan, Jordan. I hope that you end up with one that you really love, no matter how you get there. And you should send us an updated picture so we can see the one that's the correct size for you. Also, just because, Jordan, you mentioned that you are a new knitter, we have all been there. Mm -hmm. All of us. All of us. Every single one. Some number of times. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Our last letter today is from Michelle. Hi, Michelle. If I were to describe my journey as a knitter initially, I would consider myself to be like Oscar from The Odd Couple. Passionate and animated about the craft, but little to no patience when things didn't quite work out as they were supposed to. Over the last 26 years, I've learned so much, but still have a long way to go. Knitting has taught me joy, patience, passion, the ability to laugh at myself and learn from my mistakes, but most importantly, calmness when life gets too crazy. What aspects of your life have been impacted as a result of your own knitting journey? Well, Michelle, that's such a nice thing to reflect on, because I think that we're all in different places in our knitting journeys, and it means something different to everyone. So I'm 20 plus years into my active, continuous knitting life. I kind of started and just didn't stop. And knitting has been different things to me at different times of my life. Like when I first started knitting, it was something that I picked up because I felt really isolated. I had moved to a part of the country I'd never been to before. I didn't really know anyone. And it was something that kept my hands busy, something for me to focus on besides my program that I was in at school. And it was a hobby in like the truest sense of the word. Like it was just something that I needed to do to keep my hands going. And then over time, it felt like something that I was enthusiastic about learning about, like I could build skills and try new things and feel a sense of accomplishment. And at that point in my knitting life, I was knitting lots of things as gifts, making hats and scarves and things for babies and just wildly giving them away because it was something that I could do, but it hadn't translated into the relationship that I currently have with my knitting which is very much focused on clothing and textile, fabric construction and fiber content, and really creating pieces of clothing that I want to be wearing and that are made to fit my body how it is at any given point in time, instead of making choices based on what's available from stores. And that's definitely like a clothing place of privilege that I exist in. But it's made me think about where our clothing comes from and how things are produced and make me refocus my relationship to apparel. So it's been a long evolution, but I feel like I feel better about my choices, about my consumerism because of this. Like I'm still acquiring materials to make things, but I don't shop for things in the way that I did maybe 10 or 15 years ago. I've slowed down a lot in that sense, and I've gotten to a point where like, I make very different decisions because of my relationship to my knitting. And every once in a while, I gift knit for people, but mostly this is something that I do for myself 
and for love of the craft. But that's the kind of role that it's playing for me at this point in my life. The thing for me that I've like learned through knitting is this sort of on the fly kind of analysis and like just kind of chilling out about stuff a little bit, changing things if I don't like them. Mm-hmm. Mm, I don't like how this fits, but the instructions said to do this. I'm like now free of that. So I think that's probably the biggest growth that I've had as a person as a result of knitting. That feels lovely. You know what? You know how podcasts like This American Life and other shows sometimes put together stories from people about topics? Oh, yeah. It would be really nice to maybe come up with some sort of project where we invite our listeners to send us stories about how knitting has impacted their life. Okay, let's make this up on the fly. Let's do it. I think that's a really great idea. So why don't we do that? Let's do a little collection of listeners' stories. You can email them to us or you can leave them as a voicemail and we'll figure out how to play them. Just a couple of sentences about what knitting means to you in your life. Yeah. So what's on your needles, Jessica? I am still working on my EZV from Caitlin Hunter and I love it. I am maybe, I want to say 30 rows into the color work in my yoke, and there's about 45-ish. So I am significantly into the color work, and there are exciting changes going on with my three colors. And it's a little slow because I am a very slow color work knitter, and that's okay. I'm like at peace with that. I know that about myself. But once I get through that chart, I feel like the rest of it is really going to fly. I'm going to have a sweater in no time until I need to knit my sleeves, which also have like six inches of color work at the ends of them. Ah, So I'll be super motivated and then I'm going to slow right back down. But you'll have that like, oh, I can finish this, like push through to finish it. It's July now. I'm going to say that by the end of August, I will be wearing this thing just in time for August heat waves. I will wear my giant oversized wool sweater. But you know what? The store is air-conditioned, so I'm going to do it. What's on your needles, Karen? My Oak Moss by Alicia Plummer, which I am flying on. I've finished the body. I'm into the sleeve. So if you have been following along with this, there's a little bit of a frogging fiasco, but we're back in business here. I think I'm going to be finishing it pretty soon. I haven't done sleeves like this in a long time. The construction of this thing, it's knit bottom up. You do a three needle bind off at the shoulders and then there's like sleeve caps with short rows. I have done that before, but I can't remember what it was that I did that. And I really like them. Nice. And I think they'll go fast. I mean, the whole thing has gone fast. So I believe that your sleeves will go fast. Yeah. I've seen you knit sleeves quickly before. Yes. (laughs) So I've had a little bit of increased knitting time because I've been home with one of our dogs who is sick. She's going to be okay. She has a really great vet team. But I'm curious because I know people listen to this all over the place and have a big wide variety of experiences. So what has happened with this dog, she has myelitis, inflammation in her spinal column, and all of her legs have stopped working. They're going to start working again. But for the last couple of weeks, she's kind of just waiting for them to start working again. Like she needs kind of full-time attention and care because she can't get up and she can't do stuff. So if anyone who's listening to this has ever had an experience with a dog who can't move around and has any advice on ways to keep them comfortable and entertained and hydrated and all that kind of thing, please email us. We would very much appreciate it. 
You can put pumpkin in the subject line and we'll know it's a dog email. Yeah, we'll post a picture of her. She's doing pretty well. And it has given me a fair amount of knitting time because really between all of the stuff, I can't do a whole lot of focused work. I'm just knitting and taking the dog outside. (laughs) It's a lot of quality on the couch time. How's the knit along going? We are closing in on the end of it. So today, while you're listening, if you're listening on episode release day, it's July 26th. And the Make Good Cables knit-along goes until Sunday, July 31st, when we are going to button this puppy up. There's still time to participate if you haven't thus far. You can post pictures on Instagram. Use the hashtag MakeGoodCables, all one word. Don't make up your own hashtag and not use that one because we won't see it. It's the only thing that we're checking (laughs) for knit-along participation. We are going to be giving away a gift card to a randomly selected participant which means you don't need to be completed. Your project can still be in progress on the 31st. You just need to have posted by that time. And to be considered, you need to follow the Make Good Pod Instagram account and the Scratch Supply Co. Instagram account. So if you've been posting and participating, but you don't actually follow us, go follow us. So that way we can award you your gift card prize. We'll announce the winner on Instagram. And we will show off a picture of the knit that was randomly selected. I think my sweater is going to be done in time. It probably will be, but you're super not eligible. Oh, man, you're right. You're not winning the gift card. Oh, Oh, well. I think that might be it for us this week. It super is. You can listen to us anywhere you get your audio podcasts, possibly where you're listening right now. Rate and review us. It helps other knitters find us. Tell your friends. You can follow us on Instagram at MakeGoodPod. Big huge thank you to our Patreon supporters. We appreciate you. We love you. You help us do this every week without ever taking on advertisers. You can visit our website, MakeGoodPod.com. Check out the show notes. Send us a contact form email or leave us a voicemail about your knitting growth experience. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.